Good morning. It's so fun when God tells you this week is about recompense and restoration, things that the enemy comes and steals, and then like your whole worship band has a major issue that week, and I'm going, Lord, it's weird when you do things like that, when you tell me to preach on something and then everything falls apart regarding that. If you guys remember, I told you our first week of Miracle Month, God had said, do this Miracle Month. I said, sure. And then like the next week I'm going, I need all these miracles. What is this about, Lord? It's a setup and it's good. I want to show you a resource that has revolutionized our life. I'm going to be talking about some of the principles that I learned from this book. Um, but I wanted to show it to you so that if you are at all interested in what I'm talking about today, I highly encourage you grab this book on Amazon. It's by this awesome man named Alan Vincent. He's in his late 70s now. Very powerful man of God. It has a lot of practical stories from him. It's called The Good Fight of Faith, and it's awesome. So honestly, this is a book that I personally believe all of us believers would benefit greatly from reading. So if you have not read it, grab it. Um, today we're going to be talking about miracles of restoration and recompense. And I don't know if you guys know this word, so I'm going to give you a definition up here on the screen. There's other definitions to this word, but for our sake this morning, we're going to be talking about how it renders an equivalent to for service or loss. For example, recompense would be paying for something that you're asking for. And then also it would be paying back or to give in return something that was lost, stolen, whatnot. So that's uh, what we're going to be talking about today. It's actually mentioned several times in the Bible. Revelation says Jesus is going to come with recompense. Um, it's a little bit different than reward. We're also going to be talking today about God's reward, but this is a little bit different than that. And uh, it's honestly, to me, recompense is how God brings balance to things. So I want to present this question to you because, you know, it's an important one to think about. Why would God need to bring restoration if he is completely in control? Just think about it for a second. If God is totally in control, then everything that, go, that you go through in your life, he's 100% for. So why would he need to restore anything? Can I submit to you the thought that God is not completely in control? A lot of us struggle with how can bad things happen to good people, and we think, oh gosh, God, if you're so good, why did you let this happen? But the thing that we forget is that God never set up this world for us to be pawns in a big chess game for him. He wasn't saying, okay, now you, breathe, 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 and now meet this person. Oh, keep breathing. Oh, sorry, I forgot for a second right? He's not orchestrating every single event that happens in your life. He is sovereign over it, but that doesn't mean that everything that happens to you or, the, or a situation you go through is 100% something that he thought up would be great for you. Does that make sense? I could spend a lot of time unpacking this. I'm not going to. If you have questions about it, please come ask me. But the fact of the matter is that there are things that happen in our life that Jesus is just not okay with. It wasn't in his plan for you. It wasn't his best for you. It just happened. But because he is a great God, he works all things for good for those of us that love him. Right? I like to look at it as God has plan A, and then he has plan A-A. The Garden of Eden was plan A. Here we are. We're going to have fellowship with God. We're going to have this unbridled, vulnerable, completely trusting relationship between humans and their God. It's going to be free of shame and guilt and fear and all that sin, all the stuff that just holds us down. That was plan A, and it was amazing. 
But actually, Ephesians tells us before the foundations of the world, before God even created the Garden of Eden, he also established plan AA. Ephesians tells us that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was selected to be the lamb who would be slain for the sins of the world. So just in case you chose not what God wanted, he created a second plan A that's actually better than the original. Because through Jesus, we have that same ability to have unbridled, vulnerable relationship with God, walking with him. We can be free of fear and shame and guilt and sin and all these things that hold us down. But we also get to have the living God dwelling inside of our, house, our, our heart. Isn't that cool? I just think that's amazing that plan A was super amazing and plan AA was even better. And that's how God is. So if you're going through something in your life or if you've been through something that's really hard, know there's a plan AA around the corner for you. And today what we're talking about is how do you pull that into practically into your life? I think one of the things we have to look at, (coughs) excuse me, is we have to acknowledge we all have an adversary. We have someone who's against us that has one plan. Jesus tells us in John 10, that plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. There is nothing redeemable about the devil. I remember uh, when I was first learning about just spiritual warfare and whatnot, I remember thinking, if we could just, you know, I, w- I had this struggle with, with recognizing there's nothing redeemable with the enemy, if that makes sense. It's like I wanted to pray for him to be less ruthless, <laughs> right? Because somehow in my head, I thought that might help me out. But the fact of the matter is God has stamped it for eternity. There's no changing in him. He is now forever, forever the way that he is. And his one goal is to destroy your life. So the faster we can recognize that and we can stop flirting with anything that has to do with the enemy, the faster we're going to walk victoriously, right? There's a whole lot of stuff out there that Satan copied Uh, ideas from God and put it into play in this world that he has this limited dominion in. And we sometimes get up next to and say, well, our culture thinks this is cool. So I'll just see what it's like for myself. But that has serious consequences in our life. More on that later. All right. So we have to know we have an adversary and then we need to know where our trials come from. Excuse me. We have trials that come from three places. The first place we have God made trials. Now these are situations where God says, okay, I'm ready to upgrade this part of your life. So I'm going to box you in, in a, in a circumstance that you only need me to get out of. You're not going to get out of it except by me. And when you do get out of it, you're going to be so much more mature and more like me. Okay. We all look at trials and we go, trials are terrible. Nobody wakes up and thinks, I know what I want to do today. It's Saturday. It's spring break. I want a trial. Lord, give me one. Come on. Nobody thinks like that, right? But James tells us in James 1, consider it joy when a trial comes your way of any kind, of any of the three kinds we're going to talk about today. Why? Because it's for your good. Let me give you an example, and this is an example that's in this book. So great. Imagine a prize fight of a boxing match, okay? You've got Grant over here, and you've got McCoby over here. Kobe from Thursday, not from Friday when he hurt his knee. And they're fighting against each other. And, and you know, let's say that for the sake of this morning that McCoby's just clobbering Grant, man. It's like every hit. And so we're all going, Grant, just lay down. Take it easy. You have a family. You're going to get a concussion, right? This is too much. Just lay down. This is ridiculous. Well, what if I told you that before that fight, somebody had come in and said, Grant, I will pay you $10,000 for every hit you can take standing up. What does the crowd start to do then? Come on, Grant, one more. You can do one more, right? Wipe that blood out of your eyes. One more, keep standing. That's how we can consider, consider trials, 
Because every hit that we take, there's something powerful that God has positioned for us. So if we can change our perspective enough, we can actually start looking at our circumstances and our problems and start saying, this is really good for me. It doesn't feel good, but I'm going to tell myself, this is good for you. Keep standing. Don't lay down. Don't wallow in the grave. Don't back up and say, well, I tried. It was miracle month, and I tried for a few days, and it just didn't go well, so it's just never going to go well for me. No. We have to stand up, and we have to cheer each other on and say, you can do one more. I get decked in the face all the time, not in real life, but in my spirit, right? I'm just walking along, and bam, oh, man, I have this thought that just starts me on this downward spiral. And I have to stop myself and go, no. For lack of a better word, this isn't the phrase I use to myself, but I would, you know, I have to tell myself, you're a prize fighter. You can take this. And if you can get through this, something on the other side, the A, A is coming, and it's going to be so great. So some of our trials are God-made right? And God is doing something. I also love this phrase that he reveals it to heal it. So if God is unearthing something not pleasant in your heart, be encouraged. He's only doing that because he's ready to remove it. And he's created, he's given you everything you need to get out of that thing. The second type of trials we come into are man-made. These are the consequences of our bad choices. We don't like to talk about this. I feel really uncomfortable having to just say this, but the truth of the matter is that bad choices have bad consequences. I tell my kids, you do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. Not every single time, but they, in their world, that's how they make sense of if I punch my sibling in the face, I should expect one coming back at me. <laughs> right? When we do bad things, it causes a ripple effect. So some of the trials that we're going through in our life are actually there because we did something that was out of God's way of living, whether it was a sin or just a bad, not wise choice. So the way that we interact with God to get out of that trial is a little bit different than if it's God made, right? We can't cast a devil out of our God made situation. It's God who's doing that to you. And, we, and honestly, we can't necessarily cast ourselves out of a man-made situation. The way out of it is repentance, forgiveness, and then asking God, now how can you get behind me and help me get out of this situation? Uh, when we recognize where our trials come from, we understand how to get out of them. Does that make sense? So that's why we're going through this stuff. The third type of trials, they're devil-made trials. I don't know how a catchier way to say that, but they're things that come from the enemy. They're attacks from him. And this is what he does. He comes and he says, I want to put an onslaught onto this person, and I'm just going to do everything I can to hold them back, to stifle them down, to make them hate themselves, whatever the, it is. It's different for everybody. And when we understand that our trial is coming from the enemy, then we approach it from a different perspective, right? Because I don't have to be subject to him because I am in Christ, so I don't, don't want to waste any time living under what the kingdom of darkness wants for my life. And I have wasted a lot of my time thinking, well, maybe that's true. But it's not true. It's contrary to what God wants. So when we have those trials in our life, these are the ones that we stand up and we say, this is not right. And we're going to talk really practically in just a minute about how to do that. You know, uh, in Luke 22 verses, what is it, 31 and 32. Uh, this morning, God reminded me of this verse. And you know, Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Peter, listen, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like grain. But I have prayed, especially for you, Peter, that your faith and confidence in me may not fail. And you once have turned back, to, and once you have turned back to me, strengthen and support your brothers in faith. 
This is what happened right before Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus said, Satan has come and demanded permission to sift you. If he did that for Peter, don't you think he does that for you? There's nothing special about anyone in this world except for Jesus. So what happens to one very well could happen to another. I can tell you in my life there's been so many times where I find myself in a situation and I have to go, God, where is this trial coming from? And a lot of times God will say, this is the enemy. He's sifting you. But I'm over here working this for your good. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm actually praying for you so that you'll come out of this really victorious. And you'll come out of it actually looking back sometimes and saying, I would go do that again because of all the great things that have been added to my life from this. You guys tracking with me? This is, if you can catch this and you can learn how to discern, where does my trial come from? Okay, God, now I know this is where it's coming from. How do I get out of it? Okay, this is you. Then, Lord, I don't want to resist you. You can do whatever you want to do. If you're bringing this up, sometimes for me, it's like um, control, you know? Like, I like to be in control because it's comfortable. I know what to expect. And so I can have these moments where God hems me in, and I have no control over anything, and I start going, like an addict that needs a fix. Like, who can I control, you know? (laughs) The baby. Okay, you have to go to sleep right now, right? I'm just kidding about that. But that's how it feels sometimes. It can feel like, I got to do this, man. And God's going, hey, 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 hey. I'm actually the one revealing this to you. I've actually created these circumstances so that you can find something in me. I remember I was dealing with a lot of anger in my heart a few years ago, and I was taking it out on my kids, which is not okay. And, and I'd yelled at them maybe two times that week that was, like, just not good. And my kids, I've given them permission to hold me accountable because I don't want to live ungodly before them. I want them to know if I'm doing something that's wrong, they have permission to say, Mom, you're out of line. And I was just really struggling. I couldn't get my peace. I couldn't figure it out. And so I finally said, God, what is going on? And he showed me this thing. He said, you're asking forgiveness for when you yell at them. He said, what you're missing is you need to ask for forgiveness for not seeing the grace and the self-control I've given you before you start yelling. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Okay. So help me the next time I feel pinned in and stressed to step back and find that grace that you've given. And within a week or two, my peace was restored. I was not frustrated anymore because I figured out what he was trying to do. He had revealed something so he could heal it. Other times we get into situations where I made a bad choice or we made a a mistake and spent too much money or whatever, and we have a big need, and I have to say, you know what, Lord? Forgive me. Forgive me for judging this person. Forgive me for doing this. This was wrong, and I took my life into my own hands. And I'm asking for forgiveness, and I'm asking for you to help me. And if I quiet my heart, he will start speaking. It was a mistake, but I forgive you. Here's what you need to do. All right, Lord, give me the strength to make the wise choice next time. And then other times when the enemy, is, he's sifting us, and he's bringing all kinds of sicknesses and different things like that. He, like Job, I mean, it's a great example. It's why it's in the Bible. Sometimes we go through things where we just start losing things we love, relationships, finances. And it's those moments that we have to step up and say, you know what, God, you have made me victorious. I don't have to live under this. And, and, it, and honestly, for me, I can say thank you for this attack because I know that I'm a prize fighter in your heart. I don't necessarily always feel like a prize fighter. Sometimes I feel like the one laying down going, Jesus, 
That's about all I can muster up right now, right? But other times I can look at this and I can say, we had a situation recently and, you know, Grant preached about the mammon a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, listen to it. It's amazing. And mammon is a very real thing. Jesus talks about you, can, you can't serve God and money. And mammon is such a part of that. And we had a financial system that came up and I said, oh, this is mammon rearing its ugly head. And I literally, this was my first response. I said, thank you, God. Because we have dealt with mammon so many times in our lives and we've come out of it on the back end so much better that I was really excited. I know this sounds weird, but and I don't get excited about everything the enemy sifts. But on that one, I was like, I am ready. Get out the gloves. Like, here we go. Because I can't even tell you so many stories that we have of things where the enemies come at us financially. And when we've been able to discern this is what this is, then we can come at it and we can go, you don't have permission to do that. And since you tried, give me twice give me double back, right? And honestly, guys, he does. And I'm just telling you the truth. I'm telling you testimonies here. All right, so we have to learn how to discern where do our trials come from. And I just want to say, I know some of you guys are being sifted right now. And you need to take heart because Jesus is praying for you. You're going to come out on the other side more victorious with a deeper revelation. And it's a good thing. It feels really bad, but it's a good thing. So hang in there. All right, so how do we know God gives back? We're going to fly through a couple of scriptures. The first one is Deuteronomy 30, chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 3 through 13. I'm going to read it from the message uh, this morning because I think it makes a lot of sense. You didn't know that Deuteronomy could be so applicable to your life, did you? Just wait. It says, here's what will happen. This is a prophecy to the Israelites, and I will say to you this morning, it's a prophecy for you as well. While you were out among the nations where God has dispersed you and the blessings and curses come in just the way I have set them before you and you and your children take them seriously and come back to God, your God, and obey him with your whole heart and soul to everything that I command you today, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. No matter how far you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land of your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. Let's go to the next one. God, your God, will cut away the thick calluses of your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart and soul, and live, really live. God will put all these curses on your enemies who hated you and were out to get you, and you will make a new start, listening obediently to God, keeping all his commandments that I'm commanding you today. God, your God, will outdo himself in making things go well for you. Don't you want that in your own life? You'll have babies, get calves, grow crops, and enjoy an all-around good life. Yes, God will start enjoying you again, making things go well for you, just as he enjoyed doing it for your ancestors. And the last part says, but only if you listen obediently to God, your God, and keep the commandments and regulations written in this book of Revelation. Nothing half-hearted here. You must return to God totally, heart and soul, holding nothing back. This commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb the peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. And it's not across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out there to get it and bring it back and then explain it before you can live it? No. The word is right here and now, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest. Just do it. 
This is awesome, right? When we live righteous before God, obeying his commands, incredible blessings are available to you. And I don't care what your bank account says. That's not really the blessing that is the most enjoyable. It's what happens inside of here, your heart and your very chest, the freedom to wake up in the morning and be happy you're alive, the freedom to wake up in the morning and say, God, just living before you vulnerably as your son or daughter is the best thing in the world. And it's available to you today. I also just want to make note at the beginning, he says, God will restore everything you lost. What it's talking about there is recompense. That's what it is. And this is powerful. The next one, Ruth 2, 12. May the Lord repay you. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. And he's talking about prophesying recompense to her. And we know what happened with Ruth, right? She got serious recompense. She'd been married to somebody who was not following God and ended up dropping dead maybe because of it. And then God gave her Boaz, who was not just a solid man, but in the lineage of Jesus. And then Ruth went on to have her name written in the book of the Bible. And like, there's a handful of women that got that honor. This is incredible recompense, right? So Boaz says to her, may the Lord repay you for your kindness and may your reward be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The next one, 2 Samuel 22, verse 20 and 21. He also, this is King David saying, he also brought me to an open place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. There was a recompense for all the things that David had endured that came to him. Again, in Exodus 22, verse 1, I hope you guys are getting excited. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills or sells it, he shall make restitution of five oxes for an ox or four sheep for a sheep. Now, this gets really interesting here because we don't live with sheep and oxen as our currency anymore, right? But the principle of what God laid out here, and you can read it for yourself in Exodus 22. It goes on and lists a whole bunch of different examples. When something is stolen from you, there is a recompense allotted for you for that thing, okay? This is applicable to you in your life now. If you've been through a situation where you have finances stolen from you, and this could be uh, not just like a thief came in and robbed your house, right? This is just circumstances came and all of a sudden you had that money and it's gone. Uh, It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It could be a calling or a dream. It could pertain to anything. When you recognize that it's stolen, you also need to recognize there's a recompense for you available. The last verse I want to look at this morning is Hebrews 11.6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists. I think we would all agree with that. And that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. You can leave this one up. Listen, guys, God loves to reward you. I know it's a concept that feels weird because we are these earthly people made out of dirt and he is God and it feels weird to say, can you reward me for everything I'm going through? But this is his heart. I'm not making this up. We're reading it verse after verse after verse, right? He rewards those who diligently seek him. So if you say, man, I'm going to get up again. I've been knocked down, but today I'm getting up again and I'm expecting you, God, to reward me for this. I don't know what it looks like. Sometimes his reward goes, wow, sweetie, you nailed it. Here's a pack of seeds that if you steward this well, it's going to grow into the best garden you can imagine. And we go, well, Lord, can't you just give me the basket of the crop, (laughs) right? Can I just skip ahead a few, like, months and stuff? And he's like, sometimes yes, but sometimes this is the best reward I can give you. 
Other times he goes, wow, what an amazing journey you've been on. Bam, like, you know, sham wow. Now you have a dried counter. And it was wet two seconds ago. You guys remember the sham wow? No? Just me? I really wanted one. And then, like, years later we bought one, and it was totally a sham. Like, no pun intended. It was, yeah, wow. It was really sad. Anyways, 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 okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so how does this work? The other day, my kids, they're obsessed with chocolate chip muffins. And my son had strep throat, and uh, they all said, Mom, can you make us chocolate chip muffins? I said, I've got one package. It'll make six. There's three kids. Win-win for you. Everybody gets two. So I made the muffins, and I set two aside for my kid that was contagious, and I set the other four over here for the other kids. And I said, hey, guys, when you're ready, they're on the counter. That was about it. Well, about two hours later, I realized they'd all been eaten, as I expected. And, you know, they loved them, and it was great. And as I was thinking about how, does how do I explain how you get your recompense, God brought up these muffins and the ones that I had set aside for my contagious kid, bless his heart. And the Lord said to me, your recompense is always set aside for you, but you have to decide to get up and go get it. When I read this book and I started this process of believing these things that I was reading in the word and hearing the testimonies, I said, Lord, how do I go about this? And one of the things he encourages in this book is that you take some time and you go back over the course of your life and you look at the things that have been lost and stolen from you. They could be relationships, jobs, dreams, giftings that you had that now for some reason you don't have anymore. And you make a list very practically. And then you take that list to the Lord. Around this time, we had an interesting situation that happened where we, you can take this down, we had, um, had a major miscommunication with our employer, and Grant was 100% sure he had told the accountant to take out the maximum out of our check for taxes, and they were 100% certain he had said, don't take out any. So we filed our taxes really late that year. It was like April 10th. And we got the bill uh, that we were going to owe several thousand dollars because nothing had been paid over the year, and it was gut-wrenching. At that point in time, we were living paycheck to paycheck. We had no savings whatsoever, and it was just like, what? How? How? How are we going to do this? How, how? And it's due right now. So we felt like our only option was to put it on a credit card and just work our tails off to pay it off. And we sold things and we took up extra jobs and whatnot and got it paid off after a few months. But it was heartbreaking because it felt like, was this a mistake that we made? I mean, we are just sure that we said not to do that. And I was processing this with a dear friend of mine, a very prophetic friend of mine. And she said, I really believe this was the enemy. And I thought to myself, it really feels like our mistake because we could have double-checked it, right? But I went to the Lord and said, God, where is this trial coming from, like we talked about? And he said, this is the enemy. She's right. This is the enemy. And, and what my friend had said was, you need to ask for a twofold recompense. And I thought to myself, that feels really uncomfortable, and I've never seen that happen. Is that even a thing? I mean, I know it's in the Bible, but is it even a thing? Because why aren't people talking about it, right? And so, I, so Grant and I kind of talked about it. We prayed about it. We decided, yes, we do feel like this was the enemy. And so we prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus, it was very timid. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we believe this was the enemy. Can you make him give us twofold? And then it was like, amen. And then we both kind of looked at each other. And I remember thinking to myself, I mean, nothing magical happened. Like an angel did not appear with gold bars to cash in for what had happened. There was nothing supernatural about it. Actually, I felt pretty much like it was a crapshoot, right? Like I have no idea what's about to happen, but I prayed the prayer and it's up to you, God, right? 
Months go by, nothing, not a dollar changes. One year later, we, get, we do our taxes. We get our tax return back that year. I'm not kidding, guys. It was to the dollar double what we paid the year before. So we looked at each other and just started laughing, going, could this really be true? Like, are these scriptures for real? Could this really be something in a way that we could live and apply in our life? And from that point forward, we have seen this happen many times. Some of the stories I can't tell you because there are other people involved. But to the point now where we have 100% expectation that when we recognize the enemy has come in and done something, I don't know when the recompense will come, but I have no doubt it's coming. Because it's been a proven concept in our lives. And that's what I want to release over you guys this morning. I want to tell you another personal story. Uh, This was a really bizarre one. And when I was growing up, I loved playing the piano. I played in all kinds of competitions. I did the recital thing, all of that. When I was in eighth grade, I was pretty good. And I had a miscommunication with my teacher. And I was in the running for this five-year consecutive award. And she didn't know. And so I missed the award. And there wasn't enough time in school left to get it, right? It's silly, but for me and my eighth grade self, it was absolutely devastating. My dad went and made me his own trophy to give to me so that I would feel better. Yes, I am in that generation. And uh, it didn't help, right? And I had it sitting on my dresser, and honestly, I would look at it kind of in spite, like, oh my gosh, it just drove me nuts. So about a year later, I decided I can't even play piano anymore because I'm just so mad that this happened. I didn't grow up in a home that loved Jesus very much, and so there wasn't much, like, forgiveness is a really good thing for you right now, right? Let's ask God what's going on. None of that happened. And so my parents just said, well, you know, you only were required to take lessons until middle school, and you're in high school now, so if you want to, whatever. So I dropped piano. My senior year, four years later, I started having this desire to play again, and I went back to play, and I was, like, tone-deaf piano-wise. It was absolutely aggravating. I can't even explain it to you because I had been very good and now all of a sudden I couldn't even hardly read music. It was like my eyes went cross-eyed when I would start to read even the songs I had memorized before. So I in my very immature and not accurate self uh, assumed that since I didn't steward my gift, God took it away. Push pause to say over here, God does not take gifts back. He gives them freely. He will not take it back from you, okay? He may not always grow it, but he won't take it back. That's not his heart. So I just lived all this time. A decade goes by, more than a decade goes by, and I'm thinking this is what happened, right? If somebody said, do you play piano? I would say, in a lifetime ago, you know, and I would never want anybody to know how good I was because I can't do it now. If you asked me, I couldn't do it. So I'm riding the exercise bike at the Y a few years ago, and I'm listening to this teaching, and it's talking about recompense. And I was right in the season where we were experiencing this in our life. And um, he started talking about giftings, giftings that can be stolen. Now, I knew money could be stolen. I knew other things, but I didn't know giftings were included. So immediately, Holy Spirit brought piano back to my mind. And I said, well, Lord, I don't even have a piano. I wouldn't even know how to test this to see if it's you. But you know what? If that was the enemy that stole that, I want it back. And I had never been able to play chord music originally, just the way my brain functioned. I just couldn't do it. And so I wasn't ever able to be a part of, like, worship team stuff because my, I couldn't do that without playing it by memory, by individual notes. And so I said, Lord, I want that back. Well, several months went by. We were at my parents' house in Missouri, and they have a piano. And I sat down, and I just thought, I'm just going to see what I can do. And out of me came this song I had memorized for a competition in eighth grade, almost just as good as I had played it originally. Now, Grant knew the story, and he looks over at me from the other room, and I look over at him, and I'm like, 
I did that. These fingers made that music. What in the world? And I got so excited because I thought, could this be true? Guys, I'm a little bit of a slow learner sometimes, right? Could these scriptures actually mean what they say they mean? Okay, well then what else can I do in my life? And if you guys were here, I haven't played since many of you started coming to this church, but then I joined the worship team and was the keyboardist for like nine months, and it was so easy for me. And that's not bragging, that's a testimony to what God did. And the cool thing was I gained in my recompense the ability to play and read chords that I didn't have before. This is crazy, guys. So listen, you should know this by now, but there's nothing special about me. So if he did it for me, he will and wants to do it for you. No question. This isn't up for debate, right? We can't trace lineages and say, well, you had this person on Ancestry.com, and that's why you get to do this. No. If it happened for me, it happened for you, right? All right, one more story. This is a weird one for me to share. I don't normally share about the open visions that I have because they're strange, but uh, I'm going to share this one with you, and it's strange. So I really believe that God wants me to release this over you because I genuinely feel that all of you are being invited into your own recompense revelation in your life, and I feel like this is important. So a few years ago, we were at Voice of the Apostles. It's our annual conference that we go to. We'll talk about it coming up this fall, I'm sure. This year, it's in uh, Pennsylvania. It's some great speakers, powerful time with Holy Spirit. It's awesome. And I was at my first one there, and they do this impartation morning, and Part of the morning is if you start feeling Holy Spirit on you and if like heat in your hands, you're crying, you have all the, they list out these specific manifestations and they want you to come up to the front so you can get prayed for. And so I thought, well, I have heat happening in my hands, but that's actually not very abnormal for me. So I don't know, maybe it's not for me, even though I really wanted to go up there. And the person in front of me just got electrocuted by God. And if you've never seen that happen, it's very, depending on your personality, it's a very interesting experience. Um, and so I knew she needs to get up to the front. She's kind of looking around like, I can't use my legs to get up to the front. So I thought, I'll help you. So I grabbed her arm, and I'm helping walk her up to the front, and I handed her off to a ministry person. And I took a step backwards to leave and just hit the floor and couldn't get up for another hour and a half. And what happened over that time frame was a series of open visions that I have that, on, had, that honestly changed the course of my life. And this is one of them I want to share with you. I was sitting on the floor and I was weeping because there was a lot of sorrow coming up in my heart. Remember, he reveals it to heal it, right? And most of you guys know uh, there's been a lot of difficult things that I've been through, even going back to being a little kid. And, um, and so I'm, I'm sin sitting in this vision and Jesus came up and stood next to me. And he came up with his King Jesus regality posture. Sometimes when we imagine Jesus and we interact with him, he's brotherly and he's like a friend. And then sometimes he's compassionate savior. He's so complex, right? This time he was regal King Jesus. And he didn't look at me. He wasn't even there to talk. He just stood there. And what happened next was this movie reel of my life began to play situation after circumstance after situation and circumstance of very difficult things that I'd been through. And each one of them passed in front of my view and in front of King Jesus's view and he justified them. Now, sometimes we use that word to make excuses, right? Oh, you know, I'm just going to justify that it wasn't that bad. I had one cookie. supposed to have none, right? I justified that. What is that uh, statement? Okay, I had a salad for lunch. Okay, really, it was tomatoes. Okay, really, it was tomatoes and cheese. Okay, it was pizza. It was pizza, right? <laughs> have you seen those things? 
And so I, but this was justifying as if God was saying, I was not okay with that. That was not what I wanted for your life. Moment after moment after moment. And he stood there and he justified it. He brought that circumstance in line with who he is as king of everything. And he put his stamp of disapproval on it. Sometimes we go through hard things in our life and we wonder, was God okay with this? I've done some work with very deeply traumatized and um, abuse victims and sex trafficking victims. And a lot of the time they'll say, I think God enjoys watching my pain. That's why he didn't help me out of it. And it's a process they have to work through to understand that that's not how God works, right? And so in this moment, King Jesus justified each and every circumstance as I'm just sitting there weeping, having this very painful encounter, to be honest. And then the very next, when I had caught up to present day, the very next vision that I had was me at this table. Imagine putting a Lego figurine at your dinner table. This table just dwarfed me by the size of it, and there was this huge feast on it. And Father God was standing behind me in the best mood. He was cracking up laughing. Imagine your funniest moment. This is how he was being, okay? And across from the table in this desert area was a, a mass of just demonic things, that were gross, and they were all like scheming of ways to get to me. And I'm sitting at this table, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable because God is laughing. And I'm kind of looking at these demonic forces and thinking, what are you going to do now, and how bad is that going to hurt, right? And God starts laughing. He stops laughing for a second, and he said, when you get here, we will laugh forever at how hard they tried to hold you back. And all of a sudden, I started laughing. And I started realizing in that moment, every attempt of the enemy is so minuscule to who Jesus is inside of me. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is no one higher than him. There is no one better than him. No one bigger. No one kinder, more compassionate. No one more innovative. No one, there's nothing better than him. And he's in me. So wait a minute, why am I afraid of them? right? And if I do feel afraid, God just opened my eyes to the plan AA, right? It's a practice. We have to practice. We have to train our minds. Romans says we have to renew our minds. This is what you're doing when you do that. And so I sat there with Father God, and he just, he just, his laughter became infectious to me in this vision because I realized all these things that Jesus had just justified, all these moments that I had been through, God was saying, listen, this was just the enemy trying to keep you from being you. Here's the bottom line. Not all of us are called to lead a ministry, and God doesn't care. All he cares is that you are who you are. You might be called to be the best stay-at-home mom. You might be called to be a teacher. You might be called to just be free in your heart. That's significant right? And so we kid ourselves if we start, if you could for a second start to think that there's something special about me that lets me be able to do that. There's not. Because what's happening inside of me, Jesus, the hope of glory in me, is also in you if you consider yourself a son or daughter of God. There's no difference, right? The only difference is that we have to kind of throw our arms up and surrender and let him do that. So after this series of visions, what happened in my heart was so significant. I had been through a lot of healing on most of the things that I had 
experience and that encounter. But there, this was a deeper level of healing where they just became not a part of me in a way like never before. And you know what? It was weird, and I can't really explain it except to say that the fruit of it was fantastic. And I would go back and relive the pain of that encounter to be able to stand up here today feeling the, the weight of it lifted off my shoulders. And I suspect that all of you guys would too. I want to share with you one more scripture, and then we're going to do a little bit of ministry time. This is an interesting story. Uh, you guys know it. It's in John 6. It's Jesus was just doing ministry with the disciples. He sent them into the boat to go across to the other side. He was going to spend some time with God and go around to meet them on the other side. So it says, then Jesus, knowing they were going to come and take him by force, them being the mob of people, uh, by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and they got into a boat and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had still not come back to them yet. They, another account of this story says they knew Jesus had told them to go to the other side. The sea was getting rough and rising high because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed three or four miles and were at the center of the sea, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and approaching the boat, and they were terribly frightened. Another account says, in horror. <laughs> I just love that thought of these 12 men, you know, freaking out at Jesus walking. But I mean, that would be terrifying, right? You're in a boat and Jesus comes through the storm. I mean, goodness. Anyways, they were terribly frightened, but Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Probably exactly like that, right? Uh, <laughs> then they were willing to take him on board the boat, which is funny. Think about it. So they weren't willing to take him on the boat, this person who just walked on the water, and they're going, you don't get to come in here? The whole scene, I just, I want to relive this one someday when I get to heaven. Anyways, he said they were willing to take them on the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shoreland where they were going. Wait a second. They were in the middle of the sea. Jesus steps into the boat, and immediately they're at the other side. This is weird. Right? This doesn't make sense. He did calm the storm, but they didn't just automatically row, you know, like micro machines all the way to the other side. That's not what happened. And I love this story because God began to show this to me recently, and I realized, Jesus, when you step on the scene, we immediately get where we're going. Immediately. If we are met with resistance in the middle of the sea like the disciples were, listen, they were obeying God. They were doing what they knew to do. They were just caught in a situation that was bigger than them. When we're in that place, sometimes the recompense of God is instantaneous gets you to where you're going. But like I said, other times it takes a little bit longer, right? And I just want to say the goal is not to have something specific. The goal is to allow God to fix what was broken. The word also talks about restoring the years the locusts have stolen. Have you guys familiar with that verse? All these locusts had come in and eaten all these crops, and the people were stuck with nothing. And so the, the, God prophesies to them, I'm going to restore all these years that the locusts have stolen. Sometimes it takes time for that to happen. But what I want to do this morning is I want to um, give you a very quick practical, and then we're just going to, we have some time, so we're going to take some time, if you're willing, to pray and ask God to come and bring recompense and restoration into your life. Listen, I don't know why he chose today or any of these circumstances, but I do know that I'm here to tell you this is for you today. And there is an opportunity for you to step into this understanding if you'll do it, if you'll take the time in your heart and on your own the fo this following 
this coming week. It's going to be amazing. I just want to say one more time, what the enemy has tried to do to stop you is comical. I know because I've been there in really hard situations, it doesn't feel funny most of the time. It feels pretty serious, right? And some of the things that I've been through, I've asked the Lord, what the heck were you thinking? (laughs) But God is a God of Philippians 2 where he gives us an understanding. He gives us peace above our ability to understand, right? Sometimes what he wants to do to restore your heart is to, it's an internal thing inside of you to help you have a different response to the situations that you've been in, to help you be able to see another way out. The first thing you have to do if we're looking at this verse in Deuteronomy, you have to be willing to do what he says. This is applicable for those, as he says, who uh, obey God's commands, right? And so I don't, I, I mean, we have to live rightly before God so that we can be positioned for him to give us the things that we need and that we want and that he wants to give back. So that's step one. Check your heart. Is there anything you need to ask forgiveness for? Is there anything that you're hiding from God? Newsflash, he knows. <laughs> right? He knows. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in my life. And when we trust him, it becomes the most beautiful thing to say, you know what, God, you see it all. Some of this is not so pretty. I want to distract you and say, over here, Lord, look over here, right? But he doesn't. He looks right to what's in, heart, in your heart and what he's ready and willing to work on next. And that's why we know when he reveals it, he's ready to heal it. So we're going to check our hearts. Lord, is there anything that I need to ask that I need to repent for? Is there anything that I'm hiding from you or from someone that needs to come out into the light? And then the second thing we're going to do is say, Lord, where did this situation come from? We want the right recompense, right? Your muffins are reserved for you in the kingdom of heaven. Your recompense has already been set aside with your name on it. It's really just a matter of you having the confidence. Ephesians tells us to boldly approach the the throne of God with confidence. It's about you having the confidence to go and ask for what's already rightly yours. I felt so uncomfortable when I first started doing this because I honestly am just being very vulnerable with you guys. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if God would do this for me. I wasn't sure if he loved me enough to be that for me as well. But I can tell you, if he loved me enough, he loves you enough. And there's a hundred thousand scriptures that back that up. And if we believe one part of the word of God, why not believe it all? Right? So I'm going to pray. We're going to turn on that song that we did earlier. It's called Take Back. And um, it's a great song when you have this in mind, right? Because this is what's available to you. I've said that enough now this morning. I'm going to pray and then um, just take a moment just to you and the Lord. And if you need prayer, Grant and I will be up here to pray with you to see your recompense come, or you can grab somebody that's sitting near you. Father God, we thank you that you have established the way of recompense in the earth. And I thank you, Lord, that you are able to restore any situation that we've been through. God, by your grace and by your creativity, you can restore everything that we have had stolen or lost from us. So this morning, I'm asking that you highlight in each and every one of our hearts anything we need to ask you for anything that we need to get specific with. Highlight anything that we need to ask forgiveness for so we can be in right
right standing with you. And Holy Spirit, we're asking for your help and for the angelic help that's been set aside for this morning to clear the air in our lives, to bring about the recompense that you have reserved for each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.